Wednesday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. It's hump day, but it's game day, and it's a double dip with Smith & Jones today as we've got you for the next couple of hours. And then later on tonight as well, the Toronto Raptors and the Dallas Mavericks in Big D as the Raptors look to get back on the winning track following their loss a couple of nights ago to the Miami Heat. We talked about that one yesterday. The Raptors losing by five. No Kyle Lowry in the lineup. Uh, but... Certainly a very entertaining affair, a well-played affair, much like we saw a few games ago, albeit in a loss to the Phoenix Suns. So, Jonesy, this team at the midway point, as we discussed a little bit yesterday, playing well, the record one above 500, but the opponents beginning tonight, heck, the opponents we've seen the last few nights, the last few games, this month overall, certainly a lot of playoff opponents, uh, a lot of quality opponents, and we'll continue to see what this team is made of when they roll into Dallas tonight and get their first look at Luka. It is, a, uh, uh, it is a tough stretch uh, for the Raptors. And, you know, you're getting into a time where uh, people, teams start um, really defining themselves around the All-Star break because you come out of the break and then it's a, uh, it's a dash it's a that's the part of the marathon where it picks up it's if you're running hard you've got to run even harder after the all-star break so you're just getting into position to get into position right now right and i'm looking down at the eastern standings and the raptors are right in the mix um and it is going to be a battle all the way even the cleveland cavaliers at 27 18 and 18 they are nine games above 500 but they played more games than, well, you know, they played four or five more games than the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee, 27 and 19. I, and I keep looking at that loss column. Uh, Milwaukee's ahead of Cleveland, but it's, or Philly, I mean, but it's only by percentage points because uh, Philly's actually ahead of them in the loss column. And then I look down at the loss column. Washington's ahead of Toronto in the standings, but Toronto's ahead of them in the loss column. And I, I keep saying that. The significance of the loss column is that's the only one that the team impacts itself. Washington can't impact Toronto's loss column until Friday when they play them. Uh, you, can, you can always notch your left-hand column and build that, but you can't touch the other guy's right-hand column. You can't touch his loss column. So, you know, the Raptors are in ninth now, but they have one less... Uh, L than the Wizards. So it's going to be, I think, from 5 all the way down to 9 or 10. It is going to be a battle. Uh, it is going to be a battle all the way in the East. And again, look at Boston. They're in 10th. If you don't, if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't have a record that's at least at the waterline, uh, you, don't, you don't have a shot in the East, unlike the West, which is, I don't think, nearly as deep this year. And uh, you've got a couple of sub-500 teams holding down spots. I don't disagree with you. It's going to be a dogfight um, throughout the rest of the second half of this season. Uh, again, Raptors getting set for the Dallas Mavericks tonight. We will have that game for you right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Uh, 8 o'clock pregame show, 8.30 the tip-off. So, again, make note of the time because it's in Dallas. You've got the uh, one-hour time difference with the central time zone. So, again, 8 o'clock is the uh, start time for the pregame show, 8.30 Eastern, tip-off uh, for that ballgame. I want to throw something at you. i got a couple of things for you, but okay. He- okay. here's where I'm going to start. All right? Pascal Siakam 
is where I wanted to start with this. And in fact, you know what? I just gave away the punchline because I was gonna I was gonna tee you up and ask you um, about these show numbers. Style? You gonna do Say me that again. Show style. You gonna do yeah, me game I was, show style? I was. I was. I was gonna try and you know put you on the spot, back your way into it, see if you could guess it. But now I've just given away the punchline and given away the answer. So now that you know the answer, Jonesy, this isn't gonna have the same kind of impact. But let me ask you as a as a basketball lifer. If you're averaging in the NBA 20 points, 5 rebounds and 5 assists. What do you think of those numbers? What do you, what, where, do you think that puts you in pretty good company? Is that is that tough to do 25 and 5? It should. It should. Um I mean that's th- those those are good numbers. 25 points, 5 rebounds. And are, did you say five assists, too? 25, five, and five? Yep. 25, and five. So not 25, five, and five. Okay. 20, five, and five. 20 points, five assists, five rebounds. That, th- those are good numbers because uh, I was asked the other night about who had the more impressive game or who would you be afraid of more? Tyler Hero's 23 off the bench, which was very good. Or Jimmy Butler's 19, 10, and 10. All right, let's. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 10 rebounds speaks for itself. Uh, those are, that's taking away 10 possess a combination of taking away 10 possessions from uh, the opponent, or depending on how many of those are offensive rebounding, giving your ch- team a t- second chance. So rebounding is always important. But let's look at the 19 and 10. And I've always said this: I'm afraid of the guy that has 19 points and 10 assists more so than the guy who's a one-trick pony and scoring 25 points because that guy who's scoring 25 if you don't have any assists i know he's not giving it up jimmy butler 19 points 10 assists there's another minimum 20 points and we're not even counting uh passes that he's made where a guy's been fouled and goes to the line for free throws because the nba doesn't count those as assists which they should right so there's another 20 20 points so jimmy butler that's a 39 point game and the way miami heat shoots the three if they if four of those are threes you're looking at a guy accounting to 40 to 45 percent what they score, 106, 107? Miami? Yeah. Yeah, 104, 104.99, 104.99. So there's a guy, one guy responsible for 40% of your stuff. So that guy that's scoring and assisting is real dangerous. Back in the day, that's what made Steve Nash so good. He'd give you 20, but he'd give you 13 assists. So what is that? That's like, uh, you know, and the way the Suns shot the three, that's like a 50-point night from that guy. So um, 25 and 20 points, five rebounds, five assists. I'm saying that's like a 30, 30, could be a 33-point night for a guy who has those, those numbers, not counting what happens with the rebounds, be they defensive taking away from people or offense giving your team another shot. Okay, so here's how I was going to, or how I should have asked you the question. On the list of 20 points, 5 rebounds, and 5 assists, there are only 12 players currently in the NBA doing that. You just mentioned one of them in Jimmy Butler. 
LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic, Steph Curry, Ja Morant, James Harden, Luka Doncic, and then a guy who yeah I don't want to you know I don't want to knock the guy but a guy who's certainly been banged up a lot this year maybe a bit of a surprise in this a little bit Paul George and a guy who again fabulous player fabulous player but on a bad team and he's putting up some numbers I mean heck I'd take him on the Raptors any day of the week but maybe a bit of a surprise in um, Brandon Ingram but otherwise it's a who's who and again I don't mean any disrespect to Ingram and George. And George, obviously, a multi-time all-star himself. Maybe he belongs on that list. Maybe I shouldn't be knocking the guy. LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Giannis, Jokic, Curry, John Morant, James Harden, Luka, Jimmy Butler. And the other guy, Pascal Siakam. Siakam is averaging 21 points, 5 assists, 8.3 rebounds. And I'm going to go a step further here. And I know we've talked about this. Record counts, and it should. But Pascal Siakam has slightly fewer points per game, about 1.9 less points per game than he did in his All-Star season two years ago. But he has one rebound more. He averaged 7.3. This year he's averaging 8.3. He's averaging an assist and a half more than his All-Star. So even though we've seen a slight dip, still 21 plus compared to 22.9, but an uptick in assists, an uptick in rebounds, blocks and steals are all but identical. His field goal percentage is slightly higher. His three-point field goal percentage is slightly lower, which washes itself out. The only thing that's significant that jumps off the page, that year he shot 79% at the line. This year only 71%, which is another thing I want to bring up with you later in the show. The Raptors' free throw shooting has been abysmal of late. But the only thing that jumps off the page is free throw shooting. So all of the chatter about Fred VanVleet for All-Star is more than deserved, but Pascal Siakam is putting up All-Star numbers as well and putting up numbers that puts him among the elite, the best of the best in the league. And the only thing that should hold him back is the fact that the Raptors, by the time the All-Star um, you know, ballots are put in from the coaches when the reserves are announced, is are the Raptors like two or three above 500 or two or three or four or five below 500? Because I think the record will, will be, or at least maybe should be, the only thing that gets in the way. Because if you judge this guy based on his numbers, based on what he's doing, based on how he's playing, and the impact that he is making on this team, he's an all-star. Yeah. I don't know how anybody could argue yeah. otherwise. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it, would, it will be interesting to see how that coach's vote goes. Um, I mean, you look at Fred Van Vliet the same way. And, uh, you know, numbers aside, just his leadership, what he's doing, uh, the minutes he's playing, how this team, he and Pascal are their two guys, how, how they, are, they are really, really needed on this team. And it's just the record. It's just the record that's going to determine. And I, I thought Dwayne Casey had an interesting comment the other day. Um, talking about Fred, how he was kind of a, a clone of Kyle. And we remember when the Raptors were trying to get Lowry into the All-Star game, when he was first trying to crack in, how you know, we heard coaches, Dwayne making calls to other coaches and say, you know, look at look at my guy, give him a look. Um, and, and some coaches take it very seriously to the point where 
they give it to their assistant coaches to do the ballot. And people would say, what? That's not taking it seriously. No, 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 no. The assistants are the ones that do the deep dive scouting. They're the ones that get the, um, that pour over video, that get the report from the advanced scouts or from the guys in the video room with, with play calls and uh, scouting reports on players and tendencies and stuff like that. So giving it to the assistants uh, would not be, uh, you know, would not be acquiescing or, 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 you know, abdicating your duties. It would be, no, you guys do more of this than me. You guys decide. You know who we're trying to stop. I know who we're trying to stop, but is there, if there's something I'm missing, you guys are there too. Just, Eric, a word on scouting reports. I once got a chance to look at, in the presence of an assistant coach, a, a, a regular scouting report for Team A against Team B on a Wednesday night in February. And Team A had the scouting report from Team B, and I looked at it, and it was 71 pages. Hmm. 71 wow. pages for a, a Wednesday night game in February. And the stuff that was in it was really thorough and extensive when you talk about the way it's done. And that, that was that, that's years ago. That was probably three, four years ago. I, I don't even know what they look like now. I haven't, I haven't been nosy enough to try and find out. But I know one thing. I never, I never approached the Raptors with it because that's too close to home. <laughs> but um, <laughs> with all the video and all the stuff they have now, it, it, uh, this game, you know, for people to say, oh, the team doesn't look like they're prepared. If, if you say that, you have no idea what's going on in an NBA uh, front office or coaching room because there is no stone left unturned when it comes to trying to win games and, bottom line, win a championship and ultimately save jobs. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're bang on about that. Bang on about that, Jonesy. No doubt about it. Uh, again, the Raptors getting set for the Mavericks tonight, uh, 8.30 Eastern. The tip-off of that ball game. We'll have the pregame show for you starting at eight o'clock tonight. Myself and Jonesy will be back. So again, it's a double dip of us today. As we'll have the call of the game uh, on these airwaves tonight. Joining us on the line right now is former Toronto Raptor, longtime NBA vet and father, of course, as well. We've had him on the show many times in the past before. Of Gary Trent, we are pleased to be joined by Gary Trent Sr. Gary, thanks again for the time today. Man, I appreciate y'all uh, putting me on the air with you guys. Hey, Gary, Gary we'd love to I, I wanted you on. to. You know, we, Jonesy was just talking about scouting and, 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 you know, teams prepping for opponents and whatnot. Going back into your day and, and maybe even current day, I don't know how much you talk to your son about this or how much you're involved in the, the, the current day sort of X's and O's of things. What was your prep like for an opponent beyond just what happened between the lines in practice? When you were on your own in your own time, what was your prep like for a game? Just working on your shot, working on your skill, you know. Uh, you know, making sure that you're ready. That's that's basically the, what you can do. You know, during season, uh, the real regime comes in the off season, or really not an off season. I call it a non TV season, because in pro sports there is no off season. You know, you you got to be working when you're not on TV, so that when you're on TV, it will show if you was in the gym or not in the gym. Gary, that's a great line. I remember, I remember both you and Popeye Jones telling me. 
that players are made when the lights go down. And you're right. That's the, like you said, the, the kind of the non-TV season. But, Gary, we were talking yeah. about scouting and scouting reports and stuff like that. What do you what do you give me a comparison between what you guys used to get as scouting reports and 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 prep on opposition and I know coaches used to write the board in the locker room. I we haven't been in a locker well, room. They in a did a, it, years, but... it evolved. You know, when you first came in, um, we were getting we were getting like a, a piece of paper, you know, and they would have it would be a, a booklet and they would have everybody's career averages, what they're averaging this season. Uh, what you've done the last five games, ten games, what your team has done the last five games, ten games, so you can see if a guy's hot or not. And uh, you would get all of that in the booklet. And as time went on, you would get that booklet, and then coaches would give you VHS tapes to go home and check out, like, edits of the guys that you would be guarding. Like, uh, if we were going to play, like, the Pistons, they would maybe give me some footage of – Corliss Williamson and some footage of any guys that played my position or the guys that I potentially would guard. They would give me a couple edits on that. Then down the road, it became the same thing with the booklet, but uh, it turned into DVD now. You know, coaches, with all the technology, you can get a, a DVD, you know, with all the assistant guys prepping for the games. What we would do, like, on a back-to-back, potentially, like we'll play Utah Monday. Well, boom, we get on the plane to fly to Portland to play them. But on the plane ride, uh, coaches would be handing out DVDs and you could watch edits of the guy you were going to guard so you already had it the night before. Now, once you've been in the league five, six years, the only guys' games you really probably don't know yet are the rookies because you haven't seen them play enough or figured them out. But if I can play it against you, at least we both in the Western Conference. Back when I was in the West, it was two games at home, two games against them. So I will play the Lakers at least four times a year. So by the time that doesn't happen for five years, maybe I don't mention the playoffs. I've been seeing you 20 times already. I know what you're going to do. I, you know what I'm saying? It's not like after four or yeah. five years, there's a, there's only a few guys like a Kobe or somebody who might add something that late in the game. But other than that, that's why the league give you that four-year curve because usually after four or five years, you, you're going to be what you're going to be. There's a few guys that slip through the cracks and keep working and grinding, but for the most part, they assume that's the player you're going to become. Gary, it's, Gary, it's interesting because I remember being on the plane uh, when you were with the Raptors and sitting at the back and, you know, uh, Brendan Malone, Daryl Walker, they, they always had the game vi- movie on. They always had the game video on the plane where it was those screens that came down and everybody watched, not kind of like it is now where it's yeah. in the back of your seat, but those screens came down and everybody watched. How much did you pay attention to uh, the the game film of the last the opponent's last game in the locker room because I remember being in the locker room once and uh, a visiting locker room a, a night after Jean Tabak had like he, he pulled out his Hakeem Olajuwon and he was going to town and one of the visiting players he was he was new in the league as you said one of the visiting players was walking out and saw a few moves and he stopped and he said hey put that back. Put that back. Who is that? Which guy is that? And all of a sudden, he he kind of caught their eye. So, uh, how much did you pay attention to in the locker room, Gary? The here and now, an hour before the game, looking at that video that was on. Well, all the teams I've been on before the game, like 
when you get to the arena, you got 90 minutes. Usually if the game is at 7.30, coaches want you there at 6. You know, some guys will get there 5.30 to get warmed up. But during the process and during that time, uh, there's game film of the last game of the team you're about to play. So you get a chance to see that film and things of that nature. I watched some of those games, but for the most part, you know, during the pregame, I was, you know, going to shoot with a coach, getting uh, training, getting taped and things of that nature. So you catch that film when you're sitting in the locker room. But like I said, you know, after four or five or six years, uh, you know, it's cool to watch, but you basically know what everybody's doing. And as a rook, you really don't get a chance to watch that because, you know, if you're not getting a lot of playing time, you know, you're going to be doing drills. You're going to be in the weight room. You're going to be doing some three-on-three three before the game. You're going to be getting all your conditioning in and things of that nature. Because when I was younger, if you didn't play 20 minutes, you had to do uh, 20 minutes of conditioning on the treadmill after the games. So there was a lot of times where you know who the rotation is, your eight-man rotation. So a lot of guys, young cats, the coaches have you just working out before the game and doing all this, especially if it's a back-to-back and they know immediately after the game you leave in or the next day it's the day off because we're on a back-to-back. A lot of coaches will be like, we know you ain't playing. Go ahead and get it in before the game. And, you know, you use that uh, for guys who come back from injury to play three-on-three with young guys and things of that nature. Now they got the G League. So guys that's been out for like two or three months could come back and play a couple games for their team's G League to, you know, try to get their rhythm. A couple of different directions I wanted to go with you on this, Gary. We're talking to Gary Trent Sr. Um, one of the things we've been discussing, at least on this show, uh, the last, I don't know, Jonesy, maybe the last week or so, the minutes for the Raptors. And, and listen, it'll help a little bit when your son comes back in and obviously helps you know spread things out a little bit more. But currently speaking, with Gary sideline and Scotty Barnes has kind of been in and out, been a lot of minutes logged for OG and for, for Pascal and Fred in the last couple of games now, what, last two, three games, Nick Nurse is gone with like a six, maybe seven-man rotation. He's not getting a ton from the bench, and he's saying, forget it. I'm rolling with my starters. And honestly, one, two guys off the bench. Can that be sustained, Gary, if to the point that you were just making, the young dudes are maybe going to put in the extra time and get a lot of extra work at practice, but can the coaches say to the vets, as long as you're bringing it for those 48 minutes, for those two hours every other night or, or four or five nights a week, as long as you've got the gas in the tank for that, you know, you're going to practice, but it's going to be more about conditioning and body maintenance and not really, you know, grinding. You just got to make sure you're ready for game time. Well, most coaches have an eight-man rotation anyway. You got your five starters. Then you got somebody that's going to back up the one or two, somebody that's going to back up uh, usually anywhere between, you know, three and four, and then you got your backup four or five, and there go your eight guys, you know. Um, a lot of times if a coach goes past eight, it's because either somebody got into foul trouble or they really have a deep squad. And that usually depends on, you know, like if you look at Brooklyn, they're going to be top-heavy because they spend all their money in their first three guys. So, you know, once you get to about six or seventh, man, your your, your roster gets thin as far as salary. So that means your roster is going to be thin as far as talent. You know, because you you put all your money, you put all your money into Anthony Davis, you put all your money in LeBron, you put all your money in Westbrook, so that thins out your cap. So you're not going to have a very deep team, but you spent all your money expecting that top heavy load of big three to carry those teams. You know. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, Gary. Um, That's why all those. Your... Uh, if you look, if you look at all the teams that have the superstars with the big money they probably usually don't get a lot of bench production because they don't have a lot of bench as 
far as deep talent on the bench. You know what I'm saying? Because they spent all yeah. the money up front. You know, when you come in the store, you got a thousand dollars to shop. You know, by if you go in there and get a pair of red bottoms or whatever, get some shoes at six hundred. Now, you know your next your next shoe. Now you go get another pair of shoes, or is it time to go to pants now? You know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Hey, man. You know, that's how hey. I go, though. Hey, on our budget, we we don't even look at red bottoms, man. So that like that's that's that's. I'm going. That's, I'm going to see what the latest is. Yeah, I'm going to see what the latest is at TJ Maxx and Marshalls. That's what I'm doing. Oh, oh, man, you. oh man, hey, I might need to go try out for the Raptors or something, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gary, um, it was your son's birthday yesterday. What 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 uh, what words of wisdom? Uh, what what did you do? I know you guys couldn't be together, but how did you celebrate with him? Well, I've seen the uh, the Instagram post where Scotty was singing happy birthday. You know, I think, uh, you know, Dame and CJ and the older cats, a couple guys did that to uh, JR and uh, Anthony Simons when they was younger. So it's just, you know, just all out of fun and games. And, you know, when the guys, really when the young guys respect you, like you, and get along with you, they don't mind singing a song because it's all fun and games in front of the team. It's some light hazing, you know. And, uh, you know, guys don't really have to participate because, you know, somebody, look, man, I'm grown. I'm making money. I ain't participating in that goofiness. But when you guys are getting along and guys respect <laughs> each other and you guys are having fun, when you see guys when you see guys can get Scotty to sing or whatever, that means they like the guys and it's respect and it's respect amongst the guys that are having fun because in a year or two, Scotty can't wait to have somebody sing it to him, I promise you. You know, so it, it's all fun to see that. But, uh, you know, like I told him, man, son, you're 23 now. You know, you got a lot of life ahead of you. You got a lot of great opportunity ahead of you. And you, you're still developing into not only the basketball player and, and the guy that you want to be on the court, but you're developing into really a young man to become a grown man adult, you know. So there's a lot of things you're going to see in life and transition in life and you know, I'm glad my son don't have any kids or anything right now, and he can just focus on him and basketball. You don't have any responsibilities, no distractions outside of that. All you have is your family and basketball, and you don't need any other distractions. Okay, I, I, I have to ask you this, though. And, 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 Gary, normally I stay away from this stuff. Normally I do. We keep it to, like, X's and O's and just life stuff and life lessons. But this is tying in maybe the last two questions because you brought up shopping. You brought up, you know, shoes and fashion and, and, and trying to figure out how you're going to spend your money. Where does he get his fashion sense from? I mean, is that coming from dad a bit? Is that his own personality? Because I know at least not. I mean, some guys definitely, but a lot of the ladies in the city are they're keeping an eye on Gary, what he's wearing now that he's hurting, what's he's what's the latest on the bench, and showing up with a reversible cardigan with no shirt underneath. It's like people are talking more about his fashion sense now than they are about his game. Like, where does this come from? Well, you know, he said he got it from my mom because, you know, when she was younger, she always used to dress him in suits and things of that nature. My mom, you know, she's a big church person. So, you know, uh, when he was younger, you know, you always wanted to see a kid in suit and see a kid in some dress shoes because everybody's like, oh, it's so cute to see a little kid dressed up like that. So my mom was big into that. But, you know, I, you know, I was like that as a kid, too, dressing me up, taking me to church and things like that. But, uh, you know, when I got to the league, like, if you look at my draft night, I had a lime green suit uh, at the draft party the night before. I had a, a hot pink fuchsia suit, um, you know, double-breasted. So, you know, I've been into fashion and, and whatnot. I wear a lot of minks and leathers and things of that of that nature. So I would just say he grew up 
uh, grew up around the fashion sense, and you know, he just took his took his own plot and twist to it, and uh, created it into what he what he feels is uh, fresh and whatnot. Gary, did he? He's did, a little, uh, he is a little eccentric out there, you know, a little fly, but you know, that's uh, <laughs> that's the drip he want to be on, you know. Jonesy, did you have a follow-up there or not? Because it sounded no, like you no, were ready no. to jump in. All I was thinking no, he, was Gary he, back. Go ahead, Jonesy. Go ahead. He jumped it. Gary, Gary jumped. Gary, I was going to ask something, but he it was like it was like Jeopardy. He knew who, he knew the question beforehand, and he jumped it. So I'm good. <laughs> hey, all I was going to say, Gary, is I going to be your question. <laughs> I, I was I was going to ask you about I was going to ask you about the fashion sense and the eccentricity, like the uh, oh. some people. I know that, Gary, I've had messages from some of my friends or the people of my vintage and my generation saying, what is that boy wearing on the bench? And I said, man, if I was hey, 22 looking like that, if I was 22 looking like friends. that, I'd wear it, too. I'd wear it, too. <laughs> I've had some friends. I've had some friends say that, too. Like, hey, man, what's your boy got on tonight? Like, you know, and I had to go to Instagram or whatnot, you know, <laughs> and be like, you know, like... <laughs> But uh, you know, I got some friends that say that you know. But we done talked about it. so they certain things you can't be wearing now. You know, certain things. Man, I, I, listen, I say I agree with Jonesy. If I could get away with it, I'd be doing the same damn thing. We, we've we've had a running joke for years, Gary. It's funny you talking about your fuchsia stuff and lime green and everything else. There's a there's a place I don't even know the name of it, but there's a place in, in Milwaukee. A, you know, it's a pretty crappy mall in Milwaukee, but they've got a joint that's got the these suits in the window that. I don't even know that, that that you would wear it, that Gary would put it on, but they got some wild stuff there. And every time Jonesy and I walk by there when we're on the road, we walk by and we kind of laugh when we're looking at it. And I, I say, every, I've said it for 15 years. I'm like, if you'll wear it, I'll buy it for you. If you'll put it on, we're we'll walking right now, I'll buy it for you. <laughs> so, so, Gary, Midwest, Gary. Out, some Midwest pimped out gear in the window, right? There yes, you sir. go. There you go. <laughs> Gary, he's got me dressing like yeah. I'm going to the players' ball or something like that. That's how when he wants to dress Milwaukee, me. Up. When you said Milwaukee and the suits was in the window, I already knew it was some players' ball pimped out uh, <laughs> crazy colors. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all walking by, like, I, I want to see somebody in one of them outfits. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Gary, we appreciate the time today. Always good chat with you. We'll talk I again down the road. It. appreciate it. Thank you, Thanks, sir. Thanks, Gary. You guys have a great day. There's Gary Trent Sr., former Toronto Raptor, longtime NBA vet, and I uh, always love chatting with him. As the Raptors get set for the Dallas Mavericks tonight, we'll continue the conversation on the Mavs, the Raptors, and much more when we're joined by Alvin Williams for Alvin Williams Wednesdays, next on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Wednesday edition of the show getting set for a double dip today as we've got the show right now and then the broadcast later on tonight. Raptors in Dallas getting set for the Mavs. 8 o'clock pregame, 8.30 tip-off. And on the line right now for his regular visit, his weekly visit, Raptors television analyst, former Toronto Raptor. I mean, the list of the, uh, the, the accomplishments over the career goes on and on and on. Alvin Williams joining us. Alvin, appreciate the time as always. What's up, guys? How are you? All good, good Al. We just we just snowed finished talking in. to Gary Trent Senior, but yeah, yeah, we're snowed in though. Are you? How's how is it in Philly? Did you guys get hammered as well or not? No, I saw him in Miami the other night. What do you mean? Yeah, well, you home yet? Or are you still was, in the sun? He was, but you know, what about his city? Yeah, hey man, I'm out of, out of sight, out of mind. I don't know what happened here, <laughs> but no, it wasn't that. It's just cold. It wasn't much of a snow. 
All right, so you, you didn't you didn't get like 15 inches like we did, so or or maybe more in certain parts. Um, Al, yeah. I I want to start with this, and and Jones, you can feel free to jump in if I misrepresent you, because I'm basically not throwing you under the bus, but this is more you than me. But but you've dragged me along with you because I do agree with your assessment. One of the things that Jonesy's been on for a couple of years now, and again I'm in lockstep with him, is as great as Luca is, he's become really slanted to one side of the floor, and we don't see a whole lot on the other end. And the other thing, too, is he came into camp this year and into the season not in the greatest of shape. But at the same time, you look down and go, holy crap, he's still putting up crazy numbers, and he's still an incredible talent, and he's still an MVP caliber type guy. How is he doing it, and how does he get away with doing it, and how special is he then? He's a special talent, no doubt about it, but like you said, you, you use the word getting away because it comes down to the growth. You're your best players through history, at some point they've been held accountable, you know, to becoming to becoming those type of people that can lead your team. You know, when you talk about – you hear in the past, you talk about players that are very talented, but they can't win. And no one's giving Luka that type of pressure, right? If you're that good, if you're MVP candidate – you got to start winning. And Dallas, yep. is, you know, they're not winning at a rate where you keep talking about MVP. And I, and I go back to this as well. To me, Luka Doncic a lot was James Harden in Houston, controlling the ball, you know, taking most of the shots, controlling the offense, and not playing defense. But James Harden, you know, was criticized a lot for that style of play, where Luka's not. He's praised. So it, it depends where what lens is coming from. Extraordinary talent. Very good, hit clutch shot, helping his team to the best of his ability, I guess. But I think when you start talking about his greatness, he has to face some more criticism like other top athletes have as well because if not, he'll be getting away with this style of play for the rest of his career. Al, is that on us as the media, as voters? And I, and I say us, I put myself in the group, but really I'm not in the group because my MVP wins and plays both ends of the court. Have, have we become slanted that the people in our business that get votes and, and they, they don't, uh, there's there's a, maybe a lack of full understanding of, and, and the NBA wants this argument or else they define what the MVP is, but they tend to look at the offensive end and uh, uh, people don't look at a, I, I, I don't hear anything for a, a, a Chris Paul who, yeah, he's he's you know, he's on the best team, but it's his impact. He's he's scoring, he's assisting. The guy's one of the NBA leaders in history when it comes to steals and I mean Eric and I we watched the game when they were in here against Toronto. Man, he is dogging the ball. He's putting ball pressure on. There's there's no there's no metric for that. How much ball pressure a guy puts on consistently over the when his man has the ball over the course of the 24 second clock. But yet, we look at somebody like Luca, who plays on a tilted floor, and his team's only in fifth, and we're like, oh, he's the MVP. People are like, oh, he's the MVP. I'm like, oh, no, not, he's not getting my – he'll get a vote, but he's not getting my vote. Where, where, where has the lure of offense just captured us, Al, where we don't – people don't look at the whole game? I mean, it, it, that's what – I mean, I, I feel like that's always been the case with offense. You know, every little kids, we always want to score the ball. It's not until you start growing into your role where you can start 
being just as valuable or having a place on a team that you really want to make, you know, and, and that's where the defense and the other aspects of the game go, the intangibles and other things like that. But offensively is what we look at, right? It's black and white. It's, it's the stat. And you can look at the end of the, you know, the game and put that stat sheet up there and see I was eight for 12 and I had 24 points. I had 10 assists. I had, and you can just validate your numbers by just showing it. But the true eye and the coaches and your teammates and your opponents really know the truth. You know, empty points, you know, empty assists, you know, when those things are just fluff. But then you also know when that person hits the big shot or when you're game planning or you're coming out of the timeout and say, this guy's getting the ball from here, 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 and you can't do anything about it. That's the true athlete. Or, or if you're bringing the ball up and then Chris Paul is hounding you for four quarters and you're tired at the end of the game, you just don't want to see him any longer. Those are the things that really count. And I just remember as a player, I've always felt better when, it, when an opponent came up to me or you hear a story or somebody said, you know, Allen Iverson really has a lot of respect for you. Allen Iverson killed me every day, but just to hear that, you know, opponent had respect for you or they really appreciated your approach or your teammates appreciated your preparation. That's the biggest key. Us as the media, we, we set the tone early on saying this person's an MVP in November. There's no way you can name or start naming three or four guys as MVP in November when the game is season all the way to April, right? So the, the narrative is put out there early, and then, of course, the bandwagon starts. And that's where the conversation can, can, continues to go. Hey, Al, why don't we see more players like that, the, like you were just describing? That I mean, like, why can't you be the type of guy that can put up the numbers but also put the fear of God into the uh, opposing team as well and, and, and be playing like a dog right down until the final minute? Like, why don't we see more guys with that type of tenacity? I mean, I think it, it ties in. The game itself is changing. You know, analytics drives the game now, right? When, when you even putting teams together analytically, there's a big component to it. When you're putting a game plan together from a coaching standpoint, analytically, it's a big component to it. And now as a player, you train for analytics. There's not a lot of times you train for, you know, situations of the game or stuff. A lot of times you, you train with certain shots because analytically that's the shot that's going to fit your offense or that's the shot that can get you paid the most. So the players, like everyone else, they're, they're, they're forming their game to the analytic approach. It's not I want to be an entire complete player right, to be the best player I can be. I can really master this shot on this side of the floor, in this position on the floor, and I can get paid $60 million. So the players are, you know, they're, they're, they're sophisticated enough and, and smart enough to realize this is how I'm going to start training, right? So there's a lot of things that go into it when you look at the development of the game. And I think that, once again, analytically, it's black and white. You can really sit there and point out what's what and give a reason, give a reason for it. And you can argue with the greatest basketball minds in the world that played the game and everything because you can point to something somebody can read to read. So that's why it's easier to go in that direction. But at the end of the day, the eye test is the most important. You can watch sometimes the body language and layup lines. You can watch the body language going into a timeout. You can watch a lot of things that can help you, you know, you take advantage of a situation, right? So, but those things aren't taken into account. So analytically, it's easier to follow the game. Analytically, it's easier to come up with answers and reasons for decisions that's being made and why you like a player. Yeah, no, Al, I, I agree with you. I think uh, the numbers have always been there, and sometimes I refuse to call them analytics. They're just stats, and coaches always had those numbers, maybe not the same deep dive, 
but you know they probably didn't have the the means the technology the wherewithal to get them but those numbers have always been there and i i'm 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 big on the eye test and and um you, you know you talked about preparation we, we were talking to gary trent senior a little while ago al take take me through because you spent some time in a front office the the evolution of scouting reports uh, i said to eric in our first hour i saw a scouting report for a regular season game between uh, two teams, one a non-playoff team in February, like years ago, and the scouting report was like, it was it was like 60, 70 pages. I, I, mm -hmm. I just, the extensive nature of the scouting, Al, there's there's no secrets really right now. Yeah, it's, it's no secrets because, you know, every style, every team has a certain style of play, and it's across the board in NBA. You see a lot of dribble handoff. You see the the, the spreading of the floor. You see, you know, penetrating, get all the way to the rim, kick it out for a three, make an extra pass. Like, so you know it's an easier game to scout. Now, the, t the difference is you have more players that can do, you know, different things. You have five players out there that possibly can shoot. So the defense has to adjust. So it's, it's, it's a lot of different things when it comes to the scouting report. I, I know when I worked with the Sixers, for a while, and this has probably changed since I've been gone, they never really went over personnel. They, they wouldn't sit there and say, you know, you know, Russell Westbrook, you know, not, not a great three-point shooter, so you have to play him, shade him this way. If this comes, a double is going to come that way, and he likes to tell you his tendencies and all of those things. That wasn't part of the personnel. When I played, you had to know where, where a person liked to go. Like, I, I could tell you everything Allen Iverson wanted to do. I couldn't stop it. But I can tell you, if he was going right, he was going all the way to the right. If he was going left, he was going to pull back, pull up for a left-handed, for a pull-up jump shot. He might catch it on a loop curl and catch it and go or catch it and stare you down, isolation to a pick-and-roll pull-up. I can tell you everything. Like I said, I couldn't stop it, but I would know what I was going into, whether I was playing Baron Davis, Steve Francis. You would know those things. But now it's more of a team-oriented thing where you have to – you know, just design your defense to stop the team because there's so many talented players out there that can do so many different things that put a defense in a compromising position. And it's not the isolation game as much. It's pass, pass, body movement, body movement. Once again, when I play, you give it to your best player and everybody get out the way. So it was a different approach. But um, that, that, the scout reports, they, they're, they're, very, they're very detailed, but they're not in the same way as it used to be back in the day. Al, I'm going to ask a, a, maybe a variation of the same question. Um, so maybe the, maybe the answer is going to be the same. Um, one of the things that we get into quite a bit, and, and, and I'll give Jonesy credit, he's certainly on this more than me, and it probably is from, from the coaching eye that he looks at it more so than, than me. He'll often say, man, like, I knew that this guy was going right, and he, this guy only goes right. He never goes left. So if I know that, how come that guy doesn't know that? How come he doesn't know the scouting report? Or I know that this guy's going to you know, fake left, go right, spin, whatever. I know his moves. I know his sequence. So, Al, when it comes to the scouting, whether it's individual scouting whether, or individual reports, whether it's team, whatever, how is it that certain guys know, certain broadcasters know, and other guys are out there completely clueless. It could be a guy that's been in league. Like, listen, I know easier said than done, but DeMar DeRozan's been given the head and shoulder pump, pump fakes for, like, what, almost 15 years now, and you still see dudes biting on it every single night. Now, part of that is DeMar is a fantastic player, and he sells it so well, but another part is you've got to know your personnel. 
right? Jonesy, you always say KYP, know your personnel, right? So Al, how come that doesn't yep. exist more? Or is it just kind of one of those life things where like, hey, some folks study more, others don't. Some are more prepared, others aren't. Is it that simple? No, I mean, it is. You know, some players, they take a different approach when it comes to scouting, when it comes to that. But I think, once again, as a team, I'm not sure how much they emphasize or the one-on-one, you know, as opposed to the team defensive principles and the schemes and things like that. So you have, you mentioned the DeMar DeRozan. It doesn't matter if you know the scouting report, you know anything. He's going to get what he want to get. He's just a fantastic player. And it's not one, a great defensive player cannot stop a great offensive player. It has to be a team approach. And that's just the way it is because it's the NBA. You can know exactly, like I said, I, I thought I was a pretty good defensive player and I can know everything someone, some of those guys were doing, whether Sam Cassell, AI, Baron, they were still going to get their 30 or whatever they needed to do. But the team approach, when, when do you double team? What are we going to do on a pick and roll? Do I deny the ball back? Do I, you know, certain things. So the team, is, it's all about the team concepts. It's about the team concepts. But once again, offensively across the board is the most emphasized thing. The best team defenses and the best teams that concentrate on defense, you see them. They, you know, they rise to the top by the end of the season. You look at the Raptors. You know, you, we praise a lot of you know Pascal playing and Freddie playing, and when they have great offensive games. But defensively, they become a better team. You know, they 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 create a habit. They've had players that can guard multiple positions. The Chris Boucher has come in there and done some things, great things around the basket. So I think defensively, it has to be a team approach. It has to be a team scheme. And those are the most important things, especially in today's NBA. Al, um, true or false, this is one of the toughest portions of the year, middle of January, heading into the All-Star break. This is where uh, it, it's, it's kind of like the middle of the marathon where all of a sudden the pack is running together and some guy makes a break from the pack or... You know, some guy is behind and catches up, and now he's in the pack going forward toward the end of the race. This is mm-hmm. these next probably three weeks or so, four weeks going into the All Star break. This is true or false? It's a really critical time. True. True. All, all day. You know, if, if there's so many elements, especially at these times, right? You don't know what the lines are going to be, you know, who's going to be out. So it's really important for team structure to be there. Um, and that's why, you know, today's NBA is, is really good as well for these times because although you may, of course, there's no replacement for a Kevin Durant or something like that, but you, you have a strategy, you have a scheme and a style of play that doesn't necessarily rely on one player getting you 35 at good night, right? It's, it's passing the ball, it's people stepping up when they need to step up. But also going into this play, I mean, this all-star games, you know, you got to keep your focus. The holiday season and the all-star seasons are the biggest times because people are ready to go on vacation a lot of times. The focus isn't necessarily there. So there's a lot of variables that can take a team off track. The better teams, they start gaining their momentum right now, trade deadline. There's a lot of emotional things that happen you know, around these times that can take a team off track once again. So the better teams, they stay on track. They'll, they won't fall out of shape. They'll stay healthy. And mentally, they'll be ready to, to prove to keep moving. So as you mentioned, Jonesy, this is a critical time, and this is where you see the best teams. They they stay the course, and they get ready for that second half of the season. Al, I was uh, I was going to let you go, but I got one more quick one. We, we touched on this earlier with, with Gary Trent as well when we were chatting with him. Um, the minutes, is there any concern on your behalf 
Uh, I know that, you know, the, the Raps have been banged up. Birch isn't there, and Trent's not there, and Barnes has been in and out of the lineup a little bit the last week or so. Um, but Nick Nurse is pretty much rolling with a six, maybe seven-man rotation. Is there any concern on your part that, uh, you know, these guys are logging a lot, or, or do you say, hey, just get your rest on the off days and be ready for game time? Man, you're you asking a person that came from a place that watched a lot of people play 40, 42 minutes and all that stuff. So, no, yep. I'm not concerned with it because, this once again, it's a critical time. The Raptors are on a good roll. They're playing good basketball. They're playing consistent basketball. And it's due to, you know, their better players playing most of the minutes. And I think as long as they're in shape, you know, personally, and they do what they need to do to recover and still go out there and perform, I think Nick Nurse really doesn't have much of a choice. And I think it, it takes a lot for you to make that decision, especially in today's NBA where people are looking for load management and some time off. And the players stepping up, they have to do it in order to get to where they want to get to, you know. And, and, and they have a great chance of continuing to move up the ranks. But um, those guys are going to have to play. And that's, it is what it is. Now the players have to do a good job of, you know, being responsible and mature. I'm sure they are professionals to, to always be ready to go no matter how long, you know, they, they have to go. Al, appreciate the time as always. We'll uh, see you on the broadcast tonight, and uh, we'll hopefully see you in person one of these days, sooner than later. All the best, man. Hopefully. Take care. See you guys. All right, Al. Alvin Williams, Sportsnet analyst, longtime Raptor, and uh, he joins us every Wednesday for Alvin Williams Wednesday. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well.